Yes, Lord, we just adore you. We lift up your name in this house. We lift up your name in this city. Let your name be lifted high in Kitsap, Lord God, across the peninsula, Lord, even in our whole state, Lord God. We just lift up your name, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus over our families. You are worthy to be lifted high. Holy Spirit, will you just take us into the presence of the Lord in a new way this week and this month, Lord God, as we focus on you, Jesus, and we keep our eyes on you and lift you up, Lord. Lord, you are worthy, worthy, worthy of praise. Thank you for your mercy, that your mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you for the mercy seat, Lord, that the blood speaks of a better covenant, Lord your covenant with us, Lord God. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your healing, Lord God. Thank you that you said yes to the cross for our sakes. Lord, we just lift you high in this city. We lift you high over this house and over every church, every house church, Lord. In this community, Lord God, we just lift your name up in Jesus' name. Thank you for your presence, Lord God. Let's just lift up his name, the name of Jesus. Jesus, the name above all names, who's worthy to be praised. Lord, we thank you for your banner of love. Lord, I thank you that your joy is my strength. Thank you for your mercy, Lord God, for your goodness, Lord God, for your promises that are new every morning, Lord God. Lord, thank you for, for good fruit in every season, Lord God. Thank you that your promises are yes and amen. We just lift you up, Lord God. We just adore you. We adore your presence, that we get to commune with you and have relation relationship with you, Lord God, in this house. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We worship you, God. You are the one, you are the author, you are the finisher of our faith. You are the hope of our lives, you are the hope of the world, the hope of the nations. God, we thank you for your, your love and your mercy, your faithfulness and your kindness. You're so good to us, Lord. You are so, so good to us, you're so good to me. Just tell them tonight, just say, you're so good to me so good to me, Lord. Every you always meet me, Lord. You're faithful. You're faithful to come. Faithful to, to fellowship with each one of us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the cross. The cross where you made all things possible. Where you opened for us, opened up for us an inheritance a treasure trove, a wealth of spiritual riches in the heavenly realm. 
God, we thank you that you are more than enough, that the boundary lines have fallen for each one of us in pleasant places, pleasant places. Where we can't see that yet, though, God, we just, we trust you to bring our focus into alignment. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you've truly done, what you've truly provided for us, Lord. God, we are here in this place tonight for one purpose, to be your worshipers. We are first and foremost worshipers, sons and daughters who are sons and daughters of of praise, a son and a daughter of your praise. And our worship to you tonight, God, as we just begin the next part of this gathering, Lord, our Our worship to you is just to give you our hearts, to give you our bodies, to offer to you all that we are on the altar as living sacrifices. You've made us holy and acceptable through your blood. So in view of your mercy, God, we give ourselves to you. We we lean ourselves towards you and we lay down our lives at your feet. Holy and acceptable. Thank you, Jesus. God, you made a way for us to come into your presence, to spend time in your presence this evening. So here we are, God, just to, to love you and to worship you. We are going to uh, shortly move into a time of communion, but I feel like before we do that, I just want to want to make room for any ministry in the prophetic, any words of knowledge. I feel like the Lord showed me one thing, but I just want to um, set the table for that. So David, um, Mom, Cara, Tammy, of course, um, if if you guys are just sensing something, then just be ready to come up and and to release that. So I, I felt like in worship I was seeing the inside of intestines. And uh, it was kind of a weird thing to see while you're worshiping, but I knew that the Lord was showing me that uh, there might be someone here who is battling an intestinal issue, uh, maybe a food allergy, maybe there's just something going on in, in the whole intestinal system. I believe that the Lord shows us these things as what I would call it a word of knowledge because he's, he's healing that tonight. So if that's you, if you're already standing, put a hand up. If you're not standing, I'd stand. And we're just going to get around you, and we're going we're gonna to bless what the Lord is doing in this room tonight. So I see one hand. I see uh, one hand over here. Awesome. And uh, everyone else is good. Okay, you were already standing, of course, Cara. So why don't um, I'd like to ask Oscar and Isabel and Nora, as well as as uh, your guys' kids to just, um, obviously we're praying for one of the kids here, but I'd like for us just to get around. I really love to have the children be like first hands-on, and then us adults, we're just going to get behind them because we know there's no junior Holy Spirit. There's no junior Holy Spirit. And these, these youngsters, all of you youngsters, you carry the power of heaven within you by the Holy Spirit. And he is just wanting so bad to display his power and his goodness and his glory through your hands. So 
yeah, I'm, I'm asking you guys, if you want to come and maybe if you want to pray for someone who's not family, you can come lay your hands on this, this daughter of God up here. Get your sister, whoever you want. Just, just let the Holy Spirit tell you who, who to pray for. God, I thank you tonight that you are healing intestinal issues. I thank you, Lord, that in the name of Jesus, stomach issues have to bow. Dietary sensitivities, they have to crumble in the presence of the Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. And we say yes and amen to what you're releasing. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that your blood and your cross place where our healing was accomplished. And we just say tonight, by your stripes, we are healed. We release your grace tonight over intestines, over hearts and minds, over the root causes of these issues. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. We just bless, we bless these daughters in the name of Jesus. We bless them in the name of Jesus. We just release your blessing. While you're praying for these ladies, if you have a word, a word of encouragement, a prophetic word, just speak it over them. Just release it now. We thank you, Lord. has already declared the healing is, is available now and it's being released. It'll be up to you to test it out. So we'll, we'll uh, find out at another time how that's worked out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hey, Oscar. You kids were born for this. You were born to walk in the miracles, signs, and wonders that King Jesus has created you to carry and release. And it's not going to just stay in a building. It is not going to remain in the four walls of a church building. You're going to take this with you. You're going to take it into the schools. You're going to take it, well, if you're homeschool, I guess. You, you take it into your homeschool. You can take it to your families at the next family gathering this Christmas. You could take it into the streets, into your neighborhood. You could take it into the grocery stores. You could take it throughout the city or wherever you go. Everywhere your feet go, you're releasing the kingdom of God. You are mighty men and women of God. There is no one amongst us who is insignificant. You are all important. 
You are all wonderfully created by God, designed to carry his goodness and his mercy and his love and compassion to release the authority and the power of the name of Jesus. So thank you, Jesus. So prophetic words, words of knowledge, word of encouragement, songs, hymns, spiritual songs. (laughs) That's a brave one. Yeah, Ellie, I just feel like God's taking you into a new season. And in this new season, he wants you just to let all the barriers down and just explore and have fun with him. Have fun with the Father. I see you running through this big open field with him. It's running and and enjoying his presence and having fun with him. He's got your back. He knows where he's taking you. You, Even though you may not know where he's taking you, he knows where he's taking you. So you can rest in that. You can rest that your father is such a good, good father. Just have fun with him in this next season. It's almost like you're getting to know him all over again. to break off all hope deferred Jesus name Lord we just break off that assignment right now and come out of agreement with anywhere Lord that there's hope deferred your timing is perfect Lord God and I just want to exhort the body of Christ that you're in his time and you have permission to rest we have permission to heal be in his time We don't have to get caught up in the the hurriness. So I just feel that encouragement over, over all of us tonight that we have permission to rest, to be in his presence, and to take our time. He is aligning our steps. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. It's in his time and his season. Thank you, Lord. I was reminded, I, I just, I, I sense, you know, oftentimes we all go through different seasons and, and things that cause anxiety, stress, worry. And I was just reminded, you know, Bill Johnson, and this, this is not a condemnation for anyone in the room. If you're stressing out about something, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be your personal stuff. It could be your health, your finances, your family. It could be the, the direction of our nation, whatever it is. Um, but Bill, Bill likes to say that worry is an improper use of our imagination. And it's true. It's what goes on between our ears that can become so powerful. And, and beliefs that are not based and rooted in the goodness of God can often come in and rob us of our hope, rob us of joy, and worry is one of those things. Worry, fear. You know, God didn't give us that spirit. He, he does, he, fear is not your portion. The only portion of fear that you are allowed to carry that, I shouldn't say, well, maybe it is allowed, that you are commanded in the word of God to carry is the fear of the Lord. And as Bobby Connor says, you should be afraid of him. 
If you've ever heard Bobby Connor and some of the testimonies of his encounters in the presence of God getting caught up into what he called was the angel that was with him said this is you're inside of the eye of God I won't go into the description of what he was seeing in this encounter but he's shared many encounters and he said you should be afraid now God does not want us to be afraid to come to him but there is something about having a holy awe a holy fear of God and, and that can replace, when, when we put the fear of the Lord be, be above all else, all other fears have to bow. All other fears, all worries, all concerns. He has got you. Maybe someone in the room, you need to hear that tonight. The Lord has got you. He's got your back. He's got your, your direction. He's got your path. Your path has been laid out in advance. So I want to encourage you guys with that. We're going to take communion. And I feel like before we do this, I need to exhort us with what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. So if you want to go ahead and you can sit down if you want. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians 11. It's in the Passion Translation. I hope I didn't make a, a bad choice because it's a little bit lengthy sometimes. But he said, I have handed down to you what came to me by direct revelation from the Lord himself. The same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, Take it and eat for your, excuse me, take it and eat your fill. Now tonight, you're going to be able to take it, but you're not going to get filled by this because we just have a very small representation of this meal. But I'm telling you, in the spirit, the Lord wants to fill you. He wants to fill me. He satisfies our desires with good things. He's going to fill you tonight. So take it and eat your fill. It is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same with the cup of wine. After supper, he said, This cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it. And whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And here's the important part for us tonight. Sometimes we can take communion in a real fast, flippant, not really a conscientious manner. I want to encourage all of us tonight. Paul said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. And for this reason, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in a wrong spirit, in a wrong spirit. So we want to have our hearts right when we do this. If we eat it and drink it in a, in a wrong spirit, we will be guilty of dishonoring the body and blood of the Lord. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude and only then eat the bread and drink of the cup. One of the biggest obstacles that you and I face in our walk with the Lord and in our walk through this, this journey as a Christian in the world is how to navigate offense, how to navigate when someone has hurt us or said something to us or done something that is causing us grief. It could be a minor thing. It could be a major thing. But it's so important that to the Lord that we walk in freedom. 
I'm going to ask you, David, tonight to have your shofar ready. Not, not to blow it yet, but maybe just to have it ready. Um, because when we finish communion, I feel like it's going to be an appropriate time just to blast this. Because we're going to declare freedom tonight. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom in this room right now. There's freedom from offense. There's freedom from unforgiveness. So just, let's just do this together. Can we just close our eyes? I'm going to ask each one of us to just repeat after me this simple prayer to the Lord. And he may say yes, or he may say no, or he may immediately bring a person to mind. But just pray this with me. Father God, is there anyone I need to forgive? When we forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that what they did goes away out of our thinking, out of our memory. But what we are doing when we forgive is we are releasing from within ourselves something that we're holding on to that is like poison. It doesn't do anything to the person that we need to forgive. It only harms us. And it becomes a prison that you and I step inside of. It's almost like solitary confinement. Oftentimes, the Lord waits for us to release forgiveness before he speaks to us another word of direction. Oftentimes. I'm not saying that he doesn't override. So I've carried some things in my life for probably decades. And when the time was right, he said, I need you to forgive this person. I need you to forgive that situation. So just pray this with me tonight. Father God, just as you forgave me in Christ, so I choose, I choose to forgive these people. If you need to name them by name, just say, I choose to forgive this person. And I release your blessing over them now. I bless them. I bless them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and come up to grab your communion elements. We have the bread, of course. We have grape juice on this side. It's labeled, and we have, it says wind, but it actually says wine. If you want uh, Manischewitz wine, it's on this side. So let's go ahead and come and grab your communion.
Let's just hold the bread before the Lord tonight. God, we thank you for your broken body. That when you went to the cross, you were fulfilling what the Israelites experienced in their departure from Egypt, going from an old way of life into the kingdom, into a new way. And when you had them put the blood of the lamb over every doorpost, it was one lamb per household. So as we lift up this bread before you tonight, we just declare, and you can declare this with me, as for me and my house, we will serve you, Lord. We will serve you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And God, just as your body was broken, we believe that healing is the children's bread, and it was by your stripes that we are healed. So hold this bread before the Lord. If there's any area of your life that you need healing, that you need breakthrough, that you need freedom in, whether it's for you or your family or someone else, just lift that situation up as you lift up the bread. And just declare before the Lord, it's by your stripes that we are healed. It's by your stripes, King Jesus. It was by your sacrifice that impossibilities bow to the name above all names, to the name of Jesus. So we eat this bread tonight. We remember the price that you paid so that we could be reconciled to the Father and that we could have access before your throne. In Jesus' name. So Matthew 26, 27 through 28 says, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new and better covenant, which ratifies the agreement and is being poured out for many as a substitutionary atonement for the forgiveness of sins. So take the cup in your hands. This cup represents the blood of Jesus, our salvation. Jesus' blood changed everything for each one of us forever. When the stone was rolled away, he rose in victory. And we get to participate in that victory and live forever under the new covenant. You and I are able to go boldly before the throne of heaven and we have a savior King Jesus, our great high priest, who intercedes for us on our behalf. You will never be alone. You need to hear that tonight. You will never be alone. You will never be found unworthy of his love. Even in your most broken state, you will never be found unworthy of his love. By his blood, we have been saved. We are saved, healed, and delivered. So this would be an appropriate time to lift up the cup of the Lord. And if there's any family member, anyone in your life that needs to be saved, that needs to come into this covenant, just lift the cup up before the Lord right now. 
and just lift up their name. Just lift up their name. Just speak their name out. God, I speak out my nephew's names. I speak out the name of Ryan and Stephen. I speak out Eric. I speak over the name of Carl, Michelle, over my nephews, over Tarima, over Haley and Zoe, over Paula, over my entire family, over my uncle Roger, over my cousins. Just lift up their names before the Lord. God, we, we declare your salvation to come into their lives, that this would be the season, this would be the time that they would come rushing in. God, we declare your kingdom released over them, that they would be drawn to you, that King Jesus, you would draw them to yourself, that the, the blindfold of the enemy would be removed tonight, and they would come running back to the Father, they would come running into the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go ahead and drink the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just give him thanks. Can we do that? This is the moment. I'm going to ask David. Can we just all stand for this? We all need freedom. Some of us might need freedom right now more than others. But there's, there's going to come times where you and I need freedom to come rushing in. The free, where the Spirit of the Lord is, we need freedom. It, it takes just a second sometimes to get our feet tangled up. You know, Paul, Paul wrote, in he, well, we don't know if it's Paul, but the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12 that we should cast off every hindrance, every, every tripwire, every obstacle, and shake that stuff off and run the race. Jesus has placed a, a path, a race before each one of us to run. And we need the freedom of the Lord to remove, to clear out every obstacle, whether it's forgiving where we need to forgive or getting free where we need to get free or just being healed in whatever area of our life we need healing. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. David is going to blow the shofar, and he's going to release the sound of freedom tonight. So just put your hands out before the Lord and receive from him freedom tonight.
All right, you guys did better that time. I won't make you do it a third time. It's good, it's good. Tammy, are you gonna come back up here or are you gonna? Okay. Well, there's just a little, uh, there's just a little meal that we have prepared, not an actual meal, but a little smorgasbord of some, some teaching tonight. Um, last week, I'm going to fade out the angel music. Last week, we went into some teaching that Tammy and I received. But a couple, three weeks ago, I guess, Tammy and I were down in Reading at Bethel, and we went to the, the leaders' conference where we had some very hearty sessions of Ed Silvoso. If you don't know who he is, he's a almost 80-year-old Argentinian, and he is an apostle that, that is, is in the church world. He is graced with some anointing that brings paradigm shifts in our thinking. He teaches extensively on what, what the word ecclesia means. So last week, we, we did a little dive into, last Sunday, we did a little dive into three words that Ed Silvoso brought forward. And I actually played the video clips just to, I trimmed a whole bunch of stuff and just gave some little uh, nuggets for us to feast on because he says it so much better than I do. Plus he has that, that accent that he says, you know, if you want to sound like him, just add a little Tabasco sauce. So if you want to sound like an Argentina, I guess just dump some Tabasco sauce in your mouth. But so last week we learned about the ecclesia, which is the word in the New Testament that is translated church. So when Jesus said that when he, Peter, Peter's great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, he said, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And we, we interpret it as the word church. And oftentimes in the American church world, in the Christian world, we, we limit the word church to a building that we go to. So I just want to break that off right now. We're not going to repeat the whole message from last week. Most of you probably all know this, but you are the church. You are the ecclesia. And the ecclesia was a, uh, not a Greek word. Yes, a Greek word. It was a Greek word. I think in Roman, Greek. Okay. It was a Greek word used by the Romans that was not a word found in the Bible. So Jesus didn't say, I will build my temple. He didn't say, I will build my synagogue. He, he, his, his ultimate goal was not for us to plant churches as much as important as it is to have churches, buildings that we can go to together and fellowship. But Jesus used that word ecclesia, and it was a secular word that would refer to a grouping of people that would come to make decisions to legislate on behalf of Rome. So it was a gathering of people. That's the ecclesia, translated as church in our Bibles. There's another word that he brought that we looked at last week that most of us hadn't heard before. It's this word called conventus. Conventus. And in the Greek Roman world, the Greco-Roman, is that how you say it? The Greco-Roman? The Greek, I'll just be myself. The Greek Roman world, the word conventus was wherever there were two Roman citizens gathered in one place, there they had the authority of the emperor in their midst. What does that sound familiar like, right? Where two or more of you are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. So the ecclesia in its most embryonic state, in its smallest state, where two or more of us are gathered together. 
So when two of us or more of us are gathered together in his name, we have at least two, that's a conventus. We have a gathering like this. It's not just two or more. It just, and then you can be in a church of a thousand, of 10,000, whatever, and it just is different expressions of the body of Christ. So we had ecclesia, conventus, and one other word. What was that word? You remember? I'm going blank right now. That's why I'm asking you guys. Man, well, there was one other word. Oh, apostle. Apostle. The one that we're all so familiar with. Apostle was not a Bible word either. You look throughout the whole Bible, and not until the New Testament, Jesus is our great apostle. He's our chief apostle. And an apostle was like, um, Ed, Ed Silvoso described an apostle, was like an admiral an admiral, in charge of a fleet of ships. And those ships carried the building materials that were required and important to go to newly conquered territories and make that newly conquered territory look like Rome. Think about it. Jesus is our apostle, and he has given us supplies. He has given us a mandate to go and to bring heaven to earth. So that was last week. One more time. We had ecclesia, conventus, and apostle. It's okay, guys. I know you're hearing your kid crackling over there in the wrappers. Don't worry about it. It's good. I shouldn't tell you not to worry about it because I'm a dad, and I know no matter what someone tells me, I'm still going to be thinking about it. My stress level. So tonight, we're going to go a little further into this. We're going to talk about the power of the ecclesia in its smallest, uh, what he would say, embryonic form, where two of us or more are gathered. And we're going to discuss, we're going to take a look at the power that we have to shift the atmosphere over our homes, over our cities, over our region. And not just shift that, but let's, we'll just kind of go into it. So the angels are going to fade out. Oh, they're actually going to stay. Just on this part. Just on this part. It's fine. Okay, but you will have to turn it back up when the video clip plays. So, so here's uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. It says, After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, I love this, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If it is, excuse me, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. I just want to pause for a minute. Many times God will place a man or woman of peace in your path. You might feel like, man, maybe I should share, share the Lord with this person because they, they come to me so easily. They, they want to spend some, some moments just talking and fellowshipping. Maybe they don't even know the Lord. You know, they most know the Lord. It could be someone in your workplace, someone in your neighborhood. And there's just, they're a man or woman of peace. 
Sometimes God will bring those people to us because he's waiting for us to, to build a bridge. Oftentimes, we get the steps backwards and we feel like, well, I got to preach the gospel to them before God will do anything. They got to hear the truth first when it's the exact opposite. And we're going to find that out tonight. So just pay attention. You may have a man or woman of peace that God will put in your path. And you can ask the Lord, if that happens, just ask him, is that, is that my man of peace? Is that my woman of peace? So the scripture continues in Luke 10. It says, remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Chris had us do that at the conference. Maybe you just need to brush your feet off. And as everyone was doing, he says, boy, it's getting dusty in here. So anyway, nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. It's pretty potent scriptures. Jesus was giving instructions to the 72 how to take the kingdom, the authority and the power that he was releasing to them and to, to take it out into the city. We think, oh, if we could just get them to come to the building, if they would just come step in the doors and then they would want to get saved and they'd get healed. I think God's plan is so much different than what we have tried to do for so long. Not that he doesn't use our attempts. He's used the church building for as long as we all can remember to touch people. So tonight we're going to look at changing the spiritual climate. In Luke chapters 1 through 9, we see a hostile spiritual climate that Jesus is, that was Jesus' lowest point in ministry. Ed Silvosa, you're probably thinking, what? Jesus had a low point in ministry? Well, he had to address his disciples at, at this point in there, and Ed Silvosa will, will bring that scripture to light for us. Luke 10 is the turning point, which we've just read the very first part of it. This is Jesus' highest point in ministry. It said, at one point it says he is, was full of joy through the Holy Spirit because heaven had come to earth. And then Luke's, Luke chapters 11 through 24, this is really interesting. We see a favorable spiritual climate. Here we see only two demons which didn't need to be cast out. It's interesting because they had left when Jesus healed the person with the demon. If we are to change the spiritual climate over our city, whether that's Port Orchard or Bremerton or Paulsbow, Gig Harbor, wherever you live, it's important that we as the ecclesia, where two or more of us gather in his name, where we are the ones that carry and manifest the, the presence of Jesus in our midst, that we would go ahead of him. So if you guys are ready, we're going to hear the first snippet. I think I have four parts of Ed. Again, just bear with the accent. If you have a hard time with accents, just take what you can get. And we have angel music, so you'll be fine.
So I want to show you from the book of Luke, I mean, from all the way to chapter 9, the spiritual climate was very much like it is today in America or in other nations, hostile. So much so that Jesus' lowest point is found in chapter 9. He told his staff, not the Pharisees, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? I'm sure you as a pastor has felt that way sometimes, you know. But that is Jesus' lowest point. Why? Because demons were popping up like popcorn on a hot skillet. Some of them were so clever that they did, did plea bargaining. If we plead guilty, can we go to the pigs rather than to the pit? I mean, his own disciples became demonized. You don't know what spirit you are of. And you didn't come to destroy people. So Jesus was playing defense, and he was discouraged. But when you go to chapter 9, all the way to chapter, uh, chapter 11, listen to this. Never again, Jesus, have to cast out the demon. I see you doing Google's. Sure, yeah, I wrote the book. There are only two demons, one in chapter 11, one in chapter 13. Jesus didn't have to cast them out. He healed the women, and the demons left. Why? Because the climate changed. And this is what we can do. We can live in chapter 9, having a lot of fun casting out demons, and the city is going to hell, or we can change the climate, and our city will go to heaven. And then people will force their way into the kingdom. In chapter 10, we find Jesus' highest point. This is the only way in the four gospels that Jesus is expected as full of joy. And what is the reason for that? At that time, Jesus, full of joy, overflowing with joy through the Holy Spirit, says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven on earth. And the implication is because what was there? Heaven has come down to earth. I want you to receive this. You are the agents for it. I believe that the fact that we don't have a 70 or 72, that we don't have a single name, is intentional because he wanted to demonstrate that it's not the big guns that do it, but it's the little people like you and me that will take it there. So the turning point is Luke chapter 10. Nowhere in the Bible Jesus taught a system or a method except here. In Luke 10, you know, he told them, they came back with joy, saying, Lord, the apostles couldn't cast out the demons, and we show up, and the demons surrender. Explain that. But he said, you brought Satan down. And I say to you, faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. And if you're able to change the spiritual climate, the demonic powers over your city will fall down. It's biblical evidence of that. They brought him down. Now, how did they bring him down? He said that he sent them ahead of him, say ahead, to every city and place where he was going to come. Would you like the Lord to come to your city? Would you like the Lord to come to your school system? Don't pray for him to come. Go ahead of him. Go ahead of him as the ecclesia. People say, oh, the, worker, the labor is huge and the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And that gives us a ticket to do nothing until we have more workers. Let me tell you, my grandpa was a rancher. And every time he had a good harvest, 
he didn't have enough workers. But he didn't wait for more workers. He mobilized the few workers that he had, and they generated more workers. And what the Lord is saying, in my understanding, in that passage, pray that the few workers will go to the harvest because they will generate more workers. It was not a smooth execution there, but, you know. So, I, know, I don't even need to ask how many of us want to see the Lord come into our city to, to do what we're just hearing about and what we're reading about through the gospel of Luke. We, we want to, to learn how to go before the Lord to make a way for him to come, right? This is so powerful. Like, I, you know, I, I've heard the scriptures. I've read through the gospel so many times, and it just seems like, oh, we're just watching how Jesus sent the 72. But there's something, there's a key here. There is something for us to take hold of. We can see the kingdom come outside of this building, outside of whatever building we go to as a church. We could see the kingdom of God come and demons being displaced, demonic forces being broken just by us making a way and preparing the way of the Lord and him coming in as we shift the atmosphere, as we change that spiritual climate, as he says. So here's the four steps that we're going to look at next. I'm just going to give you the quick typing list, of, typed up list of it uh, from Luke 10. Number one, Jesus told them to bless them, to bless the house that you go to. Number two is to fellowship with them. Number three is to minister to their felt needs. And then four, proclaim the good news. So our assignment is to lift up Jesus in every city, every place we go, right? Every home is to be an extension of the local church. One of the quotes that he says on here that, that speaks so, so deeply to me, and I feel like it's been our desire for ever since we were married, is that the light that shines the brightest, excuse me, the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest in your home. Your home, your conventus, if you want to call it that, your, your little micro-ecclesia in your own home, beginning with husband and wife in your marriage, is so important that the presence of Jesus marks your marriage and marks your family. And that light is the brightest place because that's going to shine the furthest from your lives. And there's a, a point, and I don't have it on here tonight because I didn't want it to be weird, but um, Ed Silvoso and his wife, uh, Ruth, they, they, they made some prayer declarations and, and blessed. They did an impartation over all the couples and even the singles who want to be married and even the singles that don't want to be married. But there was an impartation that, that he released. And it's interesting because it was that night in our hotel room. Don't worry, I'm not going to get weird. In our hotel room. 12.30 in the morning, we were on each one of our own queen-size beds because we discovered the wonder of being at a conference where we each have our own bed, queen-size, of course, that's important, or you can really, you can, like, if you're tossing and turning in your sleep, like, I typically will just shred the sheets. I will just, like, I'll be upside down or backwards by the time I wake up in the morning, especially if I don't know there's someone next to me to bump into. Anyway... But it was that night at 12.30 in the morning that Tammy and I looked. We didn't choose to look at our hands underneath the reading light. We just had the reading light on even though we were looking at our cell phones. 
Go figure, we're on our phones looking at X. Not, you know, Twitter, X, it's called X now. Okay, just gotta clarify. <laughs> I'm going. We were looking at Twitter or Facebook or whatever and Tammy's like, was that a feather? Because there's some dust moving. And I was like, I don't think so. But then I saw in my hand underneath that light, sparkly, silvery stuff. And Tammy was like, oh my gosh, my hands, they're sparkling. And our hands were like oily and sparkly. And we're like, that must have been the Ed Silvoso impartation. <laughs> At least that's what we told Chris Valentin when we were talking to him about it. He came around. Anyway, so I'm just saying that, that your marriage, I'll speak to husbands and wives in the room. There's only a few of us. Our marriage and our family unit is so important for us to carry the manifest presence of Jesus. And if you're single and you want to be, you want to remain single, then it's the same for you. And if you're not married, or if you're single and you want to be married, God wants to bring you a spouse. Now, of course, I'm not talking about my teenagers here. You've got a few years to go. <laughs> if your future spouse comes in, I'm going to be like a bulldog on them, especially when my daughter's 15. So anyway, so every home is to be an extension of the local church. So let's go ahead and hear what Ed had to say. In this next clip. Can you stand up here? No. Okay. You see, they are wolves, you are lambs, but fear not. You're going to do four things. First, you're going to bless them. Blessings break curses. Blessings are forever. Curses can be broken. When you bless, you neutralize the curse. Number two, fellowship with them. Eat and drink. Number three, minister to them. I mean, you are ministering to wolves that would like to have you for lunch. How would you like an invitation to the White House to minister to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? Why, why not? Why not? And then number four, proclaim. So look at my fingers. Bless, say bless. Fellowship. Minister. Proclaim. In the old paradigm, we begin with proclamation. Repent or burn, judgment is coming. Nobody wants an invitation to their funeral. But when you bless them, you see, what God allowed us to do by the grace was to change a paradigm where before the church demanded repentance in order to bless, now we bless in order for people to repent. It's the goodness of our Lord that leads to repentance. It's not the judgment of our Lord, although there is a judgment. So he told them to do that, and they went and did it. And Satan fell down. And I have found that the assignment is lift up Jesus in the entire city. To do that, you already have the people. If we can see every home as a replica of this temple, if we can see every believer as an extension of the pastor, we are already all over the city. You can lift up city all over the city, uh, Jesus. When you do that, I mean, at that moment, Satan falls. When he falls, now you can dismantle his structure of power by treading upon them. And as a result of that, sinners come to the Lord. We learned this in Resistencia Argentina, <clears throat> a city of 400,000 <clears throat> with only 5,143 believers after 70 years of preaching the gospel faithfully, many people. 
There were 70 churches and 68 were the result of his split. So trying to bring pastors together was like organizing a porcupine dance. No one wanted to get together with anyone else. But out of 70, seven agreed to come and pray together. And in that prayer meeting, one of the pastors, and we have to tell them, only two words are allowed, hello and goodbye. Because if they spoke another word, we have split number 69. So they came and said, hello, hello, okay, go and pray. For two and a half hours they pray. Sometimes they broke the rules in prayer. They would say, Lord, you know there is somebody in this room that I will not mention, but you know how mean he was to me in the past. That's okay, as long as you do it for the Lord. <clears throat> and as we were there praying, one of them broke down and told the others, today I realize that the opposite of love is not so much hatred, it's indifference. I have lived in this city for 15 years. I never wept with you. I never rejoiced with you. Would you forgive me? That's huge. Argentines make Texans look like sissies. We are the proudest people on earth. You know how Argentines commit suicide? They climb on their ego and they jump, okay? And then for an Argentine to humble himself before his fellow Argentines, that triggered another guy to say, I wish I could say I have been passive, but you know that I split more than one church. Can I wash your feet? Now, one thing is a feet washing service in America. Everybody took a shower, you know, air con. This is subtropical Argentina, sweaty, I mean, heavy. And the third one says, if we want to wash our feet, we better have communion. And they had communion together. And as they are there having communion, one of them discovered that one of the seven was broke. And they opened their Bible like a collection plate, and they took a collection. It wasn't a big money, $43 the equivalent, and gave it to the poorest. But that day, they shattered three or four strongholds, disunity, apathy, poverty, you name it. Why? Because... When you do that, the devil falls. And then after that, the Lord revealed to us the strategy that I'm sharing with you today. And so we told the pastors, the church doesn't, the city doesn't fit in the church. We have to take the church to a city. And they opened 547 houses of light. We didn't have the term ecclesia back then, but every home became an extension of the local church and they adopted their neighbors. And after about six months of doing that, we were praying by name for 400,000 people and seeing more miracles outside of the church than inside the church building. And I remember asking God, God, can you help me understand that because I have to explain it to the pastors. He said, Ed, if a believer is dying of cancer, and for whatever reasons I consider to be the way to go, I let them die. They come to heaven. But if an unbeliever is dying of cancer and he dies, he will end up in hell. So when you pray for unbelievers, I pick up the phone or I reply to that text message. 
And we saw so many answers to prayer that one thing led to the other. And today, after several years, Resistencia is the most evangelical city in Argentina. 250,000 people are in church. And as of last outreach there, we could be pushing 350,000. Why? Why not? Because when you change the spiritual climate, the ecclesia fills the heavenly places and the demonic forces flee. Now, Why? Why not? <laughs> I, that is so powerful. I love that, that revelation that when we forgive or we, we whatever it takes to, to change something that's out of alignment with the kingdom, up an offering for this this poorest pastor or confessing you know apathy between relationships washing feet that 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 dismantles strongholds i believe that even tonight like through forgiveness through taking communion together and choosing to forgive something falls down obviously we we know that it's things that that we open up that allows the enemy to come in and to create a stronghold Sometimes we don't realize that we're allowing a stronghold to come in of the enemy. Unforgiveness is one of the easiest ones. It could be hatred. It could be all kinds of avenues that the enemy chooses to come in. But we can take it down. We get to tear it down. So this next section, that was two of four. So this next one, we're going to get right into it. So transformation is a process. This Take encouragement with this. Sometimes we score and other times the opposition scores. Just because the opposition gets a goal in and, and gets their win doesn't mean that we give up. Because in the end, you and I know who wins. We're going to get some resistance. We're going to get some fight. So here's the testimony of the city in Argentina that he's talking about. I don't know if I can pronounce it right. It sounds like he said uh, resistance. It looks like resistance, but resistance. Tia, resistance tea, something like that. I'm totally messing up. Resistance tea. Want a cup of resistance tea? So here we go. This is good stuff. Now, let me show you now a short testimony now from Ciudad Juarez. Now, remember, transformation is a process. Sometimes you score, other times the other team scores. But what we are finding is that Christians are getting on the playing field, knowing that if we don't quit, we will win. And this is about Ciudad Juarez. And watch carefully. The people giving testimony are the mayor, not the believer, as we call it. The attorney general, a believer, as we call him. And they are telling us what happened. when You know how far we went? We adopted the sicarios. They hit people. We, are, we don't know who they were. And if you read the Ecclesia, you will find the details. And we were able to see Sicarius come to the Lord and, 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 and turn around what they were doing. Because it's not enough to lead people to the Lord. We need to dismantle the system that allows people to do that. So watch this short video and then we'll come back. Murder capital of the world. That was the word on the street in 2010, when drug lords and cartels fought a bloody turf war. 
It was a time of great fear and darkness. Death stalked the streets, and no one ventured from their homes after dark. Today, Ciudad Juarez is experiencing a renewal so dramatic and powerful that it is no longer the world's most dangerous city. In 2011, I went to a high place in the outskirts of the city. And by God's grace, uh, I made a declaration to adopt the city. I said to the city, you're no longer an orphan. And it's working. Even the highest authorities can testify to that. Por el poder de Dios, with the power of God and the help of Christians in the city, homicides have decreased by 80%, kidnappings by 100%, and extortions are down by 90%. Now we can say our churches, our streets, and our sport areas have been rescued. Today there is no need for a lot of physical protection. We used to need 5 to 50 bodyguards for a mayor, but now, personally, I feel comfortable to go out into the public places with my family and have no fear of being attacked by any gang. It was no coincidence that the changes experienced in Juarez coincided with an unprecedented request from the city mayor. I asked all the representatives of the churches who have a presence in Juarez to increase the activities of evangelism because I believe to the extent that they do this city's problems will be solved. This museum started as a dream in the worst possible scenario. We decided to look for something that can bless the children of Juarez and look at it right now. The museum has more than 26,000 children visitors, 41,000 school sponsorships, This museum has been recognized as the most interactive, state-of-the-art museum in all Latin America. And since its first year, the museum has already had 210,000 visitors. We used to be a church like this. Only when the pastor moved, the whole church moved. Now we're doing this. Now we're covering more area. Now we're understanding that the church in the marketplace has the, the power and the, and, the, and the opportunity to bring change, real change, because everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. That is the key for transformation. Now, let me tell you about that museum that is number one in Latin America. There were 15,000 orphans because of the killings. And Poncho says, Lord, I need a ch children ministry. No church can do that. And then the Lord dropped the idea, build a museum about the future. It's an interactive museum. When the kids walk in, they get the tablet. They look at the dinosaur, they punch a code. The dinosaur materializes. They look at the prairie through the eyes of a coyote. And what that does, it breaks a cycle of failure. They see things. I mean, $48 million were given by non-believers because this was a God idea. I want you to receive that 
everything we do in the building, we have to do it outside, but without the trappings of religiosity. We have to think biblically, but talk secularly. We don't need to go with signs and wonders, yes, but the Bible, the Bible, we know that the church did not grow just by miracles, it grew by social entrepreneurship. It grew by restoring women and men, families, and so forth. I don't know about you guys, but I'm hungry for Mexican food now. <clears throat> I just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> it's the music. This is so good. I hope you guys don't feel bored with this because there's something about this testimony that is totally spoken to me. Like, I was telling the Lord after this conference, and I've listened to the whole hour and a half session. This is just from first, the first session. There were three others after that, and I listened to it a couple more times, and then I've gone through the clips, and I'm just like, God, I, I'll, I'll be sold out for this. If this is what we can do, if this is what we can mobilize Christians in their own homes to, to become, to become the ecclesia, to become the houses of light where you're at, that we can see these things happen. I'm, I'm interested to see exactly what happens. We have the testimony of that city. I mean, to hear that they adopted by name the drug cartels. Imagine, and this is just something that we're, we're in the beginning stages of talking about, picking for Tammy and I, picking a day of the week to, to go up and down a neighborhood, like our neighborhood, or go throughout the, the downtown area of Bremerton, just wherever the Lord would lead us, and just to kind of, Cover that area by releasing blessing and seeing what the Lord opens up. So, yeah. There's a, I, I don't know who was here when I shared this, but there was a particular coffee shop, Bikini Barista, um, on the highway going to Silverdale. And for a long time now, every time we've drove by, drove by there, we're like, Lord, like, close it down and help these girls to, like, really learn how to, value themselves and then it was about a month or so ago when we drove by and i was like oh my gosh this place is closed down it's not even open anymore like there's no nothing like nothing's there so i was just like thank you jesus like he's so faithful to answer and i know they can pop up anywhere but that particular one i just was like man you see husbands driving through there and I'm just like oh god like you gotta like we need you to move in this city and so it's just small things like that and then in this complex when we first moved in this complex there wasn't a lot here and one of our desires for the city is really to see it thrive and have restaurants and small businesses and since we've been in here we've gained two restaurants and a spice shop and um, and two other restaurants over this way and it's just so amazing to see God like really moving in our city and even I mean the downtown area since we've moved back almost 10 years ago like there's been so much that's happened down there and so for us we're like seeing the whole homeless thing happening in our city that was not here years ago we're like God we need you to move we need some creative ideas for city council for city government for us and so we even before this we were like we because we used to do this we'd just drive through our city and do a prayer drive and just worship through our city and 
So this really sparked us to get back doing that again. And so, yeah. Awesome. All right. We're going to get to the last little clip, and then we're, we're not going to drag things out after that. It's, um, it's about that time where we wrap up anyway. So I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures here, and we'll watch the last clip, and then we'll pray together. So if that's good for you guys. So the practical application, Matthew 18, 18 to 20, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So we have where two or more are gathered. That's where we have an ecclesia, an expression of the church in its most embryonic state. When we invite the manifest presence of Jesus, he will come we will see our prayers answered. So these are the, the steps. Two or more are gathered in his name. We invite the manifest presence, and we will see prayer answered. You know, I, I took it a step further on Thanksgiving at our house. Normally, my dad asked, used to ask me, and now I just kind of assume you want me to do the prayer, so I, we'll, we'll get everyone to quiet down, and we'll pray. I felt like everyone in that house except for one person was not a, were believers. We were all believers, like 13 of 14 of us. Why not? Why not bring the presence of the Lord? Why not take a, just a moment and worship him and give him thanks and to welcome in his presence and to, to take that moment and just acknowledge his presence with us? So that's like my, my heart, my encouragement to all of us is that we would, we would learn to recognize him outside of the gatherings. I feel like you guys already, anyway so but I just want to encourage you to keep doing that even more two other things here when we welcome the presence of the Lord and worship him the mind of Christ begins to impregnate our minds so you're gonna hear him talk about that as we get renewed in our minds we will pray the prayers he is praying so that scripture tells us Jesus lived ever lives on our behalf to intercede for us he's our great high priest Holy Spirit is also interceding for us. So as we get renewed in our minds, we will pray the prayers he is praying. And prayer is not just talking, it is abiding. So he's going to speak into that whole aspect of prayer too, not, not just getting our, and we had a little talk about that, and that was a good input that Kara had, that it's kind of like uh, receiving, and you know, it's not all about just transmitting, it's about receiving. We need to hear the Lord and present our requests. And then the final scripture, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So here's the last part. So to bring it to a practical side, if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, you have ships, you have people there, they have to release them. The paradigm that we have to expand is that what we get in church when we invite the presence of Jesus into the building should be replicated as a lifestyle all over the place because Jesus set a very low quorum for the church. Two people. If two people get together, they get Jesus. If 20,000 people get together, they don't get more. 
they only get Jesus. And I was struggling with the promise of Jesus, anything you ask shall be done by my Father. Not only Jesus will do it, the Father will do it. And I said, Lord, I don't get 100% of my prayers answered. What, what is the key? So I want you to watch this video about the manifest presence of Jesus. That when you invite him, he comes. But he's not the guest. He's the Lord. He's the master. Ruth and I did that in our house. And now we live with Jesus. We have breakfast with Jesus, lunch with Jesus, tea time with Jesus. The presence of Jesus is there. Unbelievers walk in and they beg what is going on. And they come into the kingdom because it's the presence of the living Jesus. So watch this and don't be overwhelmed by all the information. Just receive it. This is like getting married. How much did you know about marriage the night you got married? Zero. But you said, I do, because you wanted to learn. Well, I'm giving you the I do. Let's watch this video. <clears throat> what is an ecclesia in its most embryonic expression? Listen carefully. It's the gathering of at least two believers around the manifest presence of Jesus with authority to bind and to release for God's will to be done in the sphere of influence. That's the very heart of prayer. We pray according to the will of God, and the will of God is done. The basis for that is in the scriptures. That gives us reassurance. Matthew 18, verses 18 through 20 says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loose in heaven. Again I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. What the promise that anything we ask in the name of Jesus, the Father will do it. But the question is, why is it that we don't get a hundred percent of our prayers answered as Jesus promised? And what is it that we bind and we release on earth, but it doesn't remain bound and released? Why? Look at this passage. There are three steps that you are required to take and God will deliver three promises. Step number one, when two or three gather in his name, Jesus comes. What a promise. When anything they ask, they pray for on earth, is done by the Father in heaven. And the third step is that when they bind and release, they are empowered to bind and to release. So look at that. Three actions that we take, three promises that God delivers. If we call on the name of the Lord, he will come. Do you realize that now when you go to prayer, the Lord says, I will come. Where is he coming from? From the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing there? He has been interceding for you. So why is it that we don't get our prayers answered? Well, I asked the Lord that, and he says, Ed, you rush too quickly to pray, to request things, but you don't honor Jesus who is coming to be with you. 
If the Queen of England were to walk through the front door, what would you do? Oh, she will get my undivided attention. I will, you know, greet her, whatever you desire, Your Majesty. And God reminded me, my son is greater than the Queen of England. So now that changed my life. When I begin to pray with my wife, with a prayer partner, we take time welcoming the Lord Jesus. You know, we use 2 Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves first and then pray. You see, I was rushing to prayer. No, take time to welcome the Lord Jesus. And then you seek his face and you turn from your wicked ways. Then and only then, God says, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal the land. Pay attention to that passage. We call on the name of the Lord, and at that moment we come under his lordship. We humble ourselves, we adore, we worship him, and then we begin to pray. And we seek his face first, and we turn from our own ways. You see, when we do that, listen carefully, the mind of Christ begins to impregnate your mind. Like if the Queen of England comes and she asks for a cup of tea, you will run to get it. If you welcome Jesus and you listen to him, you will begin to think his thoughts. And at that moment, we are renewed in the spirit of our mind, not just on the soul side of our mind, but on the spirit side, what comes from God. And then we begin to pray the prayers that Jesus has been praying at the right hand of the Father. And when we do that, 100% of those prayers are answered. And we are able to bear fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains. Look what Jesus said in John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, remember, he comes, he manifests himself in your prayer meeting, and my words, the ones that I'm talking to you, my words abide in you. Now you know how to pray. And now you ask, and whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Awesome, awesome. You see, the deeper meaning of praying is not talking, it's abiding, it's basking in His presence, it's sensing His presence. Take time as you go to prayer to celebrate the presence of Jesus and to listen to Him. He may speak to you from a passage in the Bible. He may speak to you through your prayer partner. He may speak to you through a thought that pops up, but you will know that it comes from God. And look at this verse. Truly I say to you, whatever, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loose in heaven, so that we will be binding on earth what the Father and the Son already bound in heaven. That's different than what we were doing before. Because look at the picture. The Father is the principal figure. Jesus is in our midst when we gather for prayer. He's like a mirror. We look to Jesus and we see what the Father is doing. And then we are able to see what the Father is doing through the presence of Jesus and now we are able to pray prayers that the Father will answer. And at that moment, we are given authority to bind and to release 
because the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. There is a spiritual warfare going on, and God is giving us the authority to bind and to release, but we shouldn't rush there. First, we welcome Jesus. We bow before him. We abide in his words. We pray the prayers that he guides us to pray. The Father answers that, and now we discover what the Father has already bound in heaven or loose in heaven, and we do it here. And God crushes Satan all forms of evil under our feet. Whose feet? The Ecclesia. Who is the head of the Ecclesia? Jesus. Where is Jesus? At the right hand of the Father. But now the Holy Spirit comes and reveals Himself. Look at this promise. He, the Holy Spirit, will guide you. Oh, this is so key in prayer. Will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose it to you what is to come. What will he reveal to you? Listen carefully. What the Holy Spirit hears, the Father and the Son, binding and loosing. Doesn't this change prayer and makes it more dynamic? And now we are asking God for the anointing because the anointing is what makes the difference. Gideon without the anointing was a coward. Gideon with the anointing became a mighty man of God. The anointing is the breath of God, is the presence of God in your prayer meeting that, that revives everything in you. Samuel without the anointing was a miraculous baby, but with the anointing he became the greatest prophet in Israel. David, without the anointing, was a lonely shepherd with the anointing, a mighty and prolific king. Oh, my friend, listen to the Holy Spirit. This is how Paul put it, for in Him we live, in Him we move, in Him we exist. That changes prayer, right? That is like being a fish in the water. When you gather now, celebrate the presence of Jesus. Exalt the presence of Jesus. Realize you live in Him, you move in Him, you exist in Him. And now you abide in His words because He will speak to you, either by the written word, through your prayer partner, through a sensation. But it will be a two-way street. And that's why I pray that you will emulate Mary. When Mary didn't know how, but the angel was announcing will come to pass, she asked, how can this be? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will deposit something in you. And I pray that right now, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and teaches you how to pray. In Jesus' name, cry with me, Holy Spirit, Baptize me. Yes, let's do it. Hey guys, let's stand up. Yeah, that that prayer is not just for an altar call. It's not just for when. God's man of power, full of paste and flour, walks in and lays hands on each one of you and says, fire. No, that's the prayer that you and I get to pray. Holy Spirit, come baptize me. 
So let's just put our hands out before the Lord. As we close this up tonight, God, we thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you in this room, and we are asking you to baptize us in your presence, to baptize us in the Holy Spirit and with fire, that you would come and rest on us, that you would take the truth of your word that we heard tonight, and that you would begin to just massage it into our hearts and into our minds. God, our desire is to be effective for your kingdom, that we wouldn't waste our days, but that we would find our days filled with fruitful laboring, doing the work that you've called us to do, taking care of our families, taking care of our jobs, and carrying your presence everywhere we go, hearing your voice, abiding in you. God, we thank you that we we get to abide in you, that our lives are hidden in Christ, that we are completely covered, and we're asking that you would saturate us, that you would permeate every cell of our being with kingdom, fire, and passion for the name of Jesus.